Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. What is up, everybody? Uh, welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, as always, and I am so excited to be here because it is finally game week again. Uh, that was so frustrating, having a whole day without Buffs football. I didn't realize how much I'd miss it. But this weekend, Colorado plays Arizona in Boulder at Folsom Field, and guess what? The first place spot as of week three of Pac-12 play in the Pac-12 South Division is up for grabs. Arizona and Colorado are currently tied. They're the two undefeated teams in the Pac-12 South, and they're going head-to-head in Boulder this Saturday. And we have a lot to talk about. But before we do that, I want to tell you about Canyon Bakehouse. So I actually, right now... I'm trying my first ever Canyon Bakehouse brownies. They're gluten-free, and I don't really understand how gluten-free works or what gluten really is. I know that some people can't have it, though. And here's what I can tell you about these Canyon Bakehouse gluten-free chocolate brownies that I found at King Supers. Uh, first of all, they're really good. Second of all, they kind of just taste like brownies. I don't know what flavor gluten has, but I can tell you that this still has all of the flavors of a brownie. So if, if you can't eat gluten or if you can't eat dairy or nut or soy or whatever, Canyon Bakehouse has the perfect products for you. Uh, breads, bagels, English muffins, obviously these brownies that I'm eating. And I can't say I've tried all of their products, but I can tell you that these brownies just taste like brownies. So if you want to just feel like you're eating normal bready food carb food i i have no idea how food works but i can tell you that this tastes like brownies and i'm going to buy more so even if you know you don't have a reason to not be eating gluten still check them out it's good stuff and they support us they're a local business you can find their foods and baked goods in pretty much any major grocery store in the freezer or the fresh bread aisle or you can purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. I definitely recommend checking these out. Okay, time for some buffs talk. Uh, I was in Boulder this morning, as always. It's a Monday, um, so that means they're practicing indoors and then coming out to talk with us about football. And that's always a very bright spot in my day, of course, just because I like talking about football, and today was no different. The big news is this. Uh, Mel Tucker gave us an update on the injuries. It wasn't super detailed, so don't get all of your hopes up about it, but there will be uh, an injury report released Tuesday morning that will break down, hopefully, more of what's going on. Usually, they have, like, name... Uh, position or whatever they do to identify them and uh, what they hurt, what's hurt about it in like maybe a sentence and then a, a time frame. How how detailed those are are vary from case to case and from week to week. So hopefully we'll get more details tomorrow and check me out. I'll, I'll tweet it as soon as it comes out. So if you don't follow me on Twitter, um, plugging my Twitter for the first time in a while, follow me. I like when you do that. Um, I'll also, of course, be talking about on the podcast afterward. So now that I've made you hear about the injuries for like 45 seconds without giving you the news, the news is this. All three of the guys who we know about being hurt but haven't had an update on, that's LaVisca Chenault, Mustafa Johnson, and Chris Miller, 
are expected to be game time decisions on Saturday, according to Mel Tucker. And that is really good news. You know, any of those injuries, any of them could have been very serious. And we don't like to speculate about injuries just because we don't have the information about what they actually are. But, you know, we knew that they could be out one week. Maybe they don't miss a single game. Or on the other end of the spectrum, this could be uh, weeks or months or maybe we don't see him again until next season type of thing because that's just how injuries work. Uh, Didn't get an update all of last week after the game, but we did get that info today and that's very good news. Uh, Mustafa Johnson... We, I'm pretty sure we have it confirmed. I think it might be confirmed that it's a, it's an ankle injury, an ankle sprain. Uh, don't know whether it's high or low. The fact that he is expected to be back, or maybe not expected to be back. Don't. That's not what I meant. There's a chance he'll be back Saturday. Means that it probably is that low ankle sprain, and he dodged the 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 high ankle sprain, which is a pretty big deal because those sideline you longer. Uh, for LaVisca Chenault, we don't know what exactly he hurt. Uh, upper body is the guess, but we, I mean, I probably shouldn't be guessing. Um, hopefully, we'll get some more information about what exactly happened to him uh, tomorrow, and I'll pass that along. And then Chris Miller uh, is the only one who really had a little caveat from Mel Tucker. Mel said that Chris Miller, who is now the starting cornerback across from Delrick Abrams, he took Makai Blackman's starting spot a week or two ago. He is the furthest behind in his recovery. So it's more likely the other two play than he plays. Again, in terms of Mustafa and LaVisca, that's probably good to hear that they are closer, that you can see it being more likely that they're on the field. Don't like to see that for Chris Miller, though. Uh, That's the update. That's what we learned today. And all very good news, I'd have to say. Okay, so got that out of the way. Also heard from Mel Tucker about his bye week. I asked him what he did Saturday. If you watched any football, he said he he tried. He watched bits and pieces of a bunch of games, but he had some ADD, slipping around channels, had to get up, walk around. Um, Not... Super surprising based on my interactions with Mel Tucker. He's a high-energy guy. Sitting around watching football, as much as he loves it, uh, maybe doesn't fit him perfectly. But he did watch some, I don't know. I I hope that that poor guy got some rest because he takes this job so seriously, puts everything he has into it, and that's that wears you down. That wears you down after some time. Uh, Also heard him talk about uh, practice a little bit. Uh, He got very kind of meta. He, he, You know how he does that? He gets very deep, introspective. Uh, always a blast to hear. He's a super bright guy. And today he talked about practice. You know, they got things going. It's They're coming out of the bye week. Sometimes it's tough to get guys going coming out of the bye week. They, they haven't had much to play for recently, have the weekend mostly off. And then Monday morning, got to show up, grind. Uh, also talked to Deion Smith about this sort of stuff, the number three running back. Redshirt freshman out of Houston, he told me about the same thing. You know, you got to get going Mondays. Monday isn't really the tough day at practice. And I think we've talked about this before on here, but they call it Bloody Tuesday, Bloody Wednesday. That's when the pads come on. That's when you do the hitting. And we'll see that in the next couple of days, obviously, because that's why it's Bloody Tuesday and Wednesday, because it's Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, then toward the end of the week, they kind of taper off. Friday, almost no contact, just helmets, and they just fly around. They call it Fast Friday. They just want everybody running as fast as possible. Get get speedy in time for the game on Saturday, which, if you haven't heard, is for first place in the Pac-12 as of week two of, oh, of the Pac-12 South. Important caveat, but uh, exciting. It's really exciting. Um, glad to be back. Glad to have some football happening soon because that's why we're here. Um, is there anything else? Uh, working on a story with Dion Smith and the other running backs, talking about them. You know, most of what I talk to Dion about, I'm just saving for the story for subscribers because that's what they pay for is some of that kind of information that I don't pass along always to everybody through the podcast. It's my plug to subscribe. But uh, I will say that he talked a little bit about what it's like being in that third running back role. Um, you know, he actually said that 
usually when they're putting together the game plan, figuring out what the snap counts are, he he's he's supposed to get more reps in the game than he actually does. And he didn't say it in like a, oh, these guys are lying to me. He wasn't frustrated about it. He just said like, yeah, it's this interesting thing where it's like getting ready. This is what we expect. And then Jaron Mangum breaks a big one. And maybe he just has five consistent runs and all of a sudden he kind of transitions in that bell cow back. Same thing with Fontenot sometimes. And that's the way that this running back by committee approach works for Colorado is that it's not just this guy gets this many reps, this guy gets this many reps, and then whoever's third, Deion Smith, gets whatever's left over. It's more figuring out who you're giving the first opportunities to. Is this a matchup where Alex Fontenot is more likely to be the guy than Jaron Mangum who's looked better in practice because they're going to see the field and if they can take the job for the day then they get a chance to take the job for the day and typically Deion Smith is kind of the last guy who gets a chance to to take the job to be the lead back to carve out some playing time within that game and you know I think that that's the way that this rotation should work you don't force feed guys if they aren't hot you always just play the hot hand that's most successful running backs by committee teams have done exactly that and that just means that sometimes for a guy like Deion Smith after Alex Fontenot gets five touches after Jaron Mangum gets five touches if neither of those guys look like guys that you have to keep on the field no matter what then Deion Smith gets some run and he said that that can be tough he said that that is hard for him to manage you know not overly difficult it's not something he gets too hung up on but when you're not touching the ball until the third quarter and all of a sudden it's your time to go out there, play football, there's a little bit of rust. Um, he said he doesn't think about it too much. It isn't that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, he like he said, they, they all do the same stuff in practice. They, they do the same drills. They watch film together. They see the same things. They're all on the same page. You know, they're building these guys to be able to do this, you know, they perfect the craft for all of them. It's not like he's the afterthought or anything. And when it's his turn to go out there, he just does what he practices and it goes pretty well for him. So some interesting stuff. I told you guys more than I wanted to, but we're going to get deeper into that in a story that I'll be dropping tonight about these running backs and the running back by committee approach, um, kind of what they talk about with each other, how they learn from each other, which is kind of interesting because they're different styles of runners who have different sorts of vision. Um, so yeah, there's, there's my plug to subscribe for the day, uh, the dnvr.com subscribe, get a free shirt and we'll appreciate you also get the ch- chance to, uh, comment on this podcast, share your thoughts or your questions and talk about them, uh, every day. You can be as much a part of this as me or silver buff or B mixer or Ben Bechter or, uh, is there, who else? Am I forgetting another big one? Ooh, Sunny Rain probably needs a shout out. But yeah, you know, the crew, same guys that we always have on here. And it's a blast. So I think that that's most of what went on in Boulder. There are a couple more things, uh, newsy type stuff that I want to get to before we move on to the second segment. Uh, talking a little bit about that new bill in California and what that could mean for the NCAA and for Colorado in particular. Um, first let's go through the AP top 25 poll, which was released Sunday at noon mountain time. Like it always is a little more respect for Colorado. Colorado came in tied for 32nd with Baylor. I believe they were 37th last week, 36th, right around there, you know, for not playing a game moving up like that. It's good stuff. And part of the reason they did move up is that Arizona state pulled out the win over uh, number 15, California, makes the Colorado win over Arizona State a week ago look good. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, that Nebraska win is looking a little bit worse, though, after Ohio State beat Nebraska 48-7, to which is incredible. At one point in the third quarter, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, yeah, it was uh, Ohio State 41-0. Adrian Martinez had completed something like two passes for eight yards, or two of eight passes, 10 yards, something like that. Um, a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun in the Slack channel. You know, I don't get too hate Nebraska-y, but you know, RK does. And RK was talking about uh, how they uh, bring in their balloons, I guess. And Nebraska fans, like they all bring in red balloons and then they release them as soon as, as soon as Nebraska scores their first points. So they just had to hold on to their balloons for most of that game. Yeah. 
College game day should not have been there for that game. Actually, Andre and I were talking about road tripping out to that game during the bye week a few weeks ago, months ago, back when we thought that it could be a good game. Obviously, we knew not to do that because, I mean, it's Ohio State and it's Nebraska. You know what's going to happen. Okay, uh, back to the top 25 poll. Before we leave this, I do want to mention how the Pac-12 kind of shakes up in here. Not quite as strong a showing as in weeks past uh, in almost every way. I guess Oregon stays at number 13, so they still have that same peak, but the Pac-12 just is not on the same tier as these other conferences, but based on this poll and also watching them play football. Okay, so number 13, Oregon, first team out of the Pac-12 conference listed in the top 25. Then you have 15, Washington, uh, 17 Utah, 20 Arizona State, uh, who famously lost to Colorado, but then beat number 15 Cal. Um, I guess it's fair. They were actually tied. I know there were a lot of people really angry that Colorado and Arizona State were tied. I think 35 or 36 or 37, somewhere right around there in the, in the rankings last week, um, right after Colorado beat Arizona State. But Arizona State takes this big leap up. They're a dozen spots ahead of Colorado. But they had a big win. Colorado didn't do anything by week. Um, So that's 20 Arizona State. Then you have 21 California. uh, 30... Oh, wait. Let's see. What did I say? That was totally wrong. 27 California. 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. Uh, Yeah, 32 tied Colorado with Baylor. um, And then... 35 USC. So Oregon, Washington, Utah, Arizona State in the rankings. Cal, Colorado, USC receiving votes. Pac-12 is wide open uh, as evidenced by the fact that Colorado and Arizona are tied for first place in the Pac-12 South. And we're going to harp on that all week. And if Colorado, Colorado actually takes over sole possession of the number one spot, that'd be pretty exciting. Even though we are early and, you know... Colorado's played one so far of their nine Pac-12 games, and they still have all three, or I guess not all three, um, but three of the four teams out of the Pac-12 who are in the top 25 left on the schedule. They still play at Oregon, actually next weekend. Uh, they play Washington at home. Then uh, where's Utah? There's Utah. They play Utah on the road at the end of the season. So tough games. Already beat Arizona State, though. Uh, it'll be fun. That's kind of where things are stacking up now. And one more thing to talk about in the first segment, and that is the Colorado Buffalo soccer team. Uh, hopefully I have turned you all into big buff soccer fans because as much fun as it is cheering for this football team, following this football team, seeing how far they can go in the Pac-12, ceiling's just a little bit higher for this soccer team. Uh, they are still undefeated in my mind. Technically, they lost that one game to Florida State, but they shouldn't have for like four or five different reasons. Um, That's their one loss to the defending national champions on the road. And they're still only ranked 24th. There's a new poll for them. I I think they're usually Tuesday mornings, maybe around noon on Tuesday. And we'll see where they go because they beat Arizona Friday night in their first game of the Pac-12 season. Uh, I was up at the Rockies game. We had a great weekend here at DNVR. Obviously launched a new site on Tuesday and Friday we all had a chance to kind of like relax. About half the company came out and we went to Blake Street Tavern and then the Rockies game. Also my parents came, uh, which was weird seeing my parents with all these other, all my, like my friends, the people I work with. Um, It was a good time though. But Friday night at the Rockies game, we were watching the uh, Buff Soccer game on my phone, I was streaming it because I have Sling, which I don't like having to buy to watch all this stuff, but it is what it is, and so I do it. And it's totally worth it to see things like Taylor Korniak scoring on a PK for second goal of the day in double overtime to end it. Uh, incredible match. So much fun. We were riding along up there. And actually, right when Taylor scored the PK, uh, and the Rockies fireworks show hit the grand finale. It was perfect. Um, so much exciting stuff going with the soccer team. Hopefully we'll get to do something fun with them at DNVR at some point. And they're going to be home this weekend. I think Thursday's Oregon, Sunday's Oregon State. 
The teams might be flipped, but those are the days. And those are going to be big games, Pac-12 games. They're surviving the gauntlet so far, and they've been a blast to watch. Uh, We'll hype them up again later in the week for sure before we get to those matches. Uh, Another thing we did this weekend at DNVR was host a tailgate with Sons of Mile High before the Broncos game. It was a blast. We had subscribers out there, like people from the UK who were there, uh, who were fans of BSN, now DNVR, listen to the podcast, want to like take pictures, talk Broncos. It was so cool. Uh, We had the UK, we had... uh, Sweden or Switzerland? I always get them mixed up. Switzerland. I think it's Switzerland. A couple guys from Switzerland came out, and it was awesome to meet them as well. Crazy accents. So many crazy accents at that thing. Just the best. Uh, We will be doing this before every Broncos game uh, for the rest of the season. Every home Broncos game, I guess. Lot N with the Sons of Mile High, DNVR, awesome tailgates. Of course, we're doing our tailgate with, uh, with Blake Street Tavern for the Buffs games. Uh, up at, at Franklin Field right next to the stadium before every home Buffs game. Uh, they've been a lot of fun. I've been to all these tailgates. Incredible. And the best part is that there are Breckenridge beers. Yesterday, I had a lot of Strawberry Skies and then some United and Orange and then a couple Avalanches once we got inside the game. It was a long day, but you know I don't blame myself for all that. I blame the... Broncos for being so bad and making that the only way you can survive that whole experience. Um, Breckenridge makes incredible beers. We've talked about them a lot. Everybody who is there, uh, there were actually a lot of people there who hadn't tried them before, uh, whether it's the United and Orange, they're like Broncos themed beer, or their Avalanche, or the Strawberry Sky. I just named the same beers. But uh, Strawberry Sky, everybody's trying it and just loving it. And it's pretty cool to see because we're not crazy when we say this is damn good beer, as RK would put it. Um, it really is worth checking out, whether you do it at our tailgates with us, at our watch parties, at our bar crawls, wherever, or maybe just at home because it's not much easier to watch Broncos games from your couch. Okay, uh, that's it for Breckenridge Brewery. Awesome stuff. Definitely check them out. And now we are moving along into the second segment where, oh, that's not true. We are actually talking about Denver Rubber Company. So you'll remember that I don't really understand gluten or beer, but it's my job to tell you about how awesome these things are. Denver Rubber Company takes my lack of knowledge to a whole new level. Here's what I can say. Denver Rubber Company is a local business. They also make things out of rubber. Um, They've been around since 1972. They make custom die-cut gaskets. Don't know what a gasket is. Uh, Molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing. Um, Yes. And then custom hoses as well. Uh, DRC offers innovative solutions to serve a diverse line of industries, including aerospace, pharmaceutical, construction, medical, military, electronics, and so much more. And see, that's where I start to realize, like, you know, journalism, you don't really need much custom rubber. And so that's why I really don't have too much expertise there. But if you are in one of those fields, aerospace, construction, pharmaceuticals, whatever, these are your people for rubber. Because even though I can't personally vouch for them because I don't understand how it works in the slightest... I can tell you that we would never partner somebody who won't be incredible for you or your business, whether it's Breckenridge Brewery, whether it's Blake Street Tavern, Canyon Bakehouse, I finally get to vouch for on my own because I have these awesome gluten-free brownies. Denver Rubber Company is going to be just as awesome, but also a little more specialized. And so I don't really, I, like, I can't just go to Super One and buy some of their rubber, or not Super One, you guys have uh, King Supers here. Can't just go to King Supers, buy some rubber, and be like, ah, oh, yeah. Um, definitely check them out, though, if you need this kind of professional rubber. I, Yeah, if you need the rubber. Um, if you're in need of custom design, material selection for your project, or have a deadline to make for a large order, do not hesitate at all to call Denver Rubber Company. Uh, you can reach them at 1-800-259-0010 or uh, drcfirst.com. 
drcfirst.com and tell them that we sent you because that way they know that we're helping. Okay, that was not my best pitch. I'm not going to lie. Definitely hope you guys check it out. We are moving on now to uh, what went down with California Senate Bill 206 and what that means for college sports, the Pac-12, Colorado College Athletics, not Colorado College, but like university universities in Colorado and their athletic. You know what I mean. Um, it's big is how we start. Uh, so here's basically what happened. Um, against a bunch of strong strongly worded um, opinions, press releases, all of this sorts of stuff from the NCAA, the state of California, actually their mayor, or not their mayor, their governor on Monday, Sunday, uh, signed a bill into law that makes it illegal for colleges to punish student athletes or hold them ineligible, take their scholarships, whatever, because they are using their name or likeness to profit. So that means now if you are whatever, a quarterback, a midfielder, a point guard, a track and field thrower of something, if you are whatever sort of college athlete, you are now allowed to sign an endorsement deal, to sign an agent who will find you endorsement deals, to, you know, go to a local restaurant and eat free food in exchange for saying that their food is really good and posting about it on Twitter. Um, all that sort of stuff. I think those are kind of like the big takeaways. You know, there's stuff like the the, the rule that um, college athletes can't be paid to coach youth league teams. That sort of stuff is gone uh, because before it was you're getting paid, like you're, the, you're getting this job because of your status as a NCAA student athlete. Um, and so there was a rule against that. That actually doesn't change. The NCAA still has all of the same rules against this stuff, but in California, the law will say that schools can't hold this uh, type of behavior against its student athletes. Um, it's illegal to punish them for it. That goes into effect January 1st, 2023. So there still is some time for all of this to get sorted out and to see what exactly this will look like. But, you know, caught in the crossfire right now are these California schools. You know, USC, UCLA, Stanford, you know the schools in, Cal in California. They're pretty big name schools. Right now, the NCAA says if one of your players does this, we are punishing you. Uh, we are punishing that player as well. And the law will say, actually, no, you're not allowed to do that. And the schools need to kind of make up their mind. They're going to be forced to follow the law. The law is much stronger than an NCAA regulation. But it'll be interesting to see. I keep saying interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how exactly this plays out. Because there are other states that have similar laws on the table. I think recently there was a lawmaker in New York who pitched... Uh, pitching is a journalism word, who proposed a bill that would force colleges in New York to give 15% of their ticket revenue to student-athletes. And I don't know exactly how they want to do that, whether that's just like straight cash payments divided equally, whether, you know, there are a bunch of different ways that could go. Uh, importantly, this California law does not let schools pay student-athletes. Um, it's just letting them profit outside of the school this opens a whole big can of worms so there are these other states who could or let's start here the ncaa their easy response what they've threatened to do is just say guess what you broke our rules none of you are allowed to compete it's an unfair playing field you guys have a recruiting advantage because kids are going to want to go to where they can make money and you know who who could blame them uh so then they just say like California schools, banned from postseason play. Boom. There you go. Where it gets really tough, well, first of all, there are some big-name schools, like we mentioned, but also all these other states who are saying, we're going to do the same thing, and if there are enough of those states, enough of those big schools who generate a lot of money for the NCAA, then the NCAA might just have to say, 
well, I guess we have to live with this because we can't afford to stop making our own money off of these schools. There's some time for this to play out. Obviously, 2023 is when it comes to pass. Um, Yeah, we really just have to wait and see how all this falls out. Um, That doesn't mean that the effects will only begin in 2023, though. Uh, which is only three years down the line. You know, it sounds like it's a long ways away, but if you're a true freshman athlete in 2023, uh, then what are you now? You're, You're a freshman in high school. So you're in the recruiting process already. These are kids who are kind of making this decision right now to say, well, looks like if I go to a California school, I can make money. And again, who could blame them for saying, I want to go to California where I will make money? It just makes a lot of sense. So you're probably going to start seeing more kids committing to those California schools already because it is so far down the line. Even if they aren't going to be there, you know, for as a freshman in 2023, if you're a senior right now trying to figure out where to go, why not try to get over there so that your senior year, redshirt junior year of college, you can potentially make money um so even though it does feel like it's a ways down the road we are already going to see the impacts on the other side of things there's a real chance that you know usc all of a sudden is banned from postseason competition which could also hurt their recruiting still seems like the payment would outweigh that but it's another thing to keep in mind like it's not like this is all positive for these schools. The Pac-12 has spoken out against it. I think all the California schools have also spoken out against it uh, for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, One of the big reasons that a school would say we don't like this, even though it does make it easy to recruit, it's not money coming out of the school's pockets. It's local businesses. It's national businesses. It's, you know, it's, it's big time stuff. It's, it's not coming from from them, and that's important. But at the same time, if a donor is saying, hey, I can get LaVisca Chenault to come be in this car commercial, I might spend my money there instead of donating it to the school or trying to buy a sponsorship from the school. If you know that makes sense, they, they're actually kind of competing with student-athletes at least a, a little bit going forward. The Pac-12 has been very anti-paying players, um, so I think what they're mostly worried about is that is that this is just the next step toward actually having salaries for players or wages for players. And that would be money that comes from the school. That's money they aren't spending on facilities. That's money they're not spending on whatever a, a college athletics department would spend money on. Instead, it's going to the kids. Um, the people in power obviously want to keep the money for themselves. Um so yeah, it's it's wild. There's really no telling what is going to happen, how huge the impacts are. You know, in the Pac-12, if the NCAA has to back down and say, you know what, we can't lose this, we just have to go with it, then those schools have an advantage. Colorado, I actually don't know whether the they're expected to have their own law that makes this stuff okay, but I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of, a lot of stuff to play out still though it's it's wild it's the next step toward players being paid which is different than things have always been a lot would say better because the kids are getting what they deserve you know when the governor of california signed this bill he actually did it on lebron's tv show uh i can't remember what it's called lebron was there um i think it's ed o'bannon is it ed o'bannon the, the guy who first sued the NCAA so that he could get his... Uh, he, he said that the NCAA was selling the rights to his face or his likeness to the video game NCAA from EA Sports, and that was wrong. And, you know, the courts agreed and made him stop making that video game. That was him who started that. He was there for the signing. Uh, I can't remember who else. There, there were some big names who were there supporting him signing this talking you know lebron said i would have played college basketball if there were a way to support my mom but i financially could not justify not going to the ncaa as quick or to the nba as quickly as possible you know this this will shake things up but 
we have to see exactly how uh, down the line. Huge news, though. Cannot overstate the importance because it really will change the whole landscape of college sports. Um, and we just kind of have to wait and see where things go. Also, uh, for those of us who really don't have a dog in the fight, you know, I don't have a bunch of friends who are student athletes. I don't really care if school, if an athletics department has, you know, a million dollars less because they're paying wages to every student athlete. Um, if you're like me and just want to cheer for your own interests, which is getting the NCAA video game back from EA Sports, this is huge. This is the first step toward that. You know, there have been whispers that maybe things are trending that way and there could be a game coming soon. Not super soon. I'm talking like years, not months. But uh, that'd be so nice. That'd be so nice. And that's why I'm excited more than anything. It's just weird though, you know. It's it's weird that I can't say, hey, LaVisca, want to come on this podcast? I'll I'll buy you dinner. We can, we can go record at a bar somewhere and, and I'll buy a couple, you know, like that is against the rules. Whereas at the same time, you know, plenty of radio stations are saying, Hey, random third string Bronco, give you a 250, 300 bucks. Come, come make an appearance. And that's totally fine. It's, it's frustrating because they're so close to having that ability. Uh, you know, they they're worthy of it like i i mean i'm not sure i'd be paying that much to get these guys on but i would definitely say like hey you got you know c- come do something let's go I'll, I'll give you 50 bucks we'll record a video it'll be awesome it's frustrating that we don't get to do that the content is worse the kids are worse off um i just don't know maybe this goes too far maybe letting donors essentially i mean there's scholarship limits to think about too you know you only get was 83 scholarships for fbs football teams what if you say hey actually lavisca instead of giving you a scholarship we're going to offer another scholarship get another good player this donor here who owns a car dealership is going to give you the value of your scholarship plus even more money to appear in ads for him is that all right with you and you'd probably be all right with it. You know, there's there's, there's so many complexities, so many scenarios you can come up with where it just, it's complicated. It, it seems unfair for certain people and you have to kind of figure out how to balance all that out. But at the same time, you have to remember that right now it's kind of unfair to athletes who are stuck playing college sports instead of going pro early um, because they're forced to do so by the leagues. You know, they're... Whatever it seems like will be bad for viewers or for schools or whoever going forward, it's it's not like that just doesn't happen. It's not that nothing bad happens if you don't allow this. It's that you just keep making the the negative externalities be imposed upon the student-athletes like they are right now. That's that status quo bias that we love talking about in my econ classes. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that that's where everything has to start is just by remembering, you know, negative externalities everywhere. I mean, you know, bad things happening as the result of whatever we're trying to get done just because they're on different people, different groups in the future doesn't mean that there aren't negative externalities right now. And it doesn't mean that they're, you know, you should just assume that these kids should be forced to accept those because that's the way it's always been. Um, And that's really all I have to say about that because this will be really complicated, figuring out the procedures and the rules. And, you know, it'd be nice if everybody would just be like, well, I guess California did it. We're all kind of stuck now. We can't just count out California sports because we need them. And instead of spending the next three years trying to fight this, the NCAA would just find the best way to implement it, you know? Instead, it's going to be two years of them trying to stop it and then a year out from when they're supposed to actually allow this because more states are going to pass this law. It's a guarantee. Instead, the NCAA could get out ahead of it right now, try to make all of these laws as similar as possible so that they don't have rules that overlap and don't make sense so that it's possible to line everything up and create a balanced playing field so that everything is working smoothly when it does roll out. But instead, 
it really does feel like the NCAA is just going to fight it for as long as they can, even though they're obviously going to lose because, you know, the law, the government is a lot more powerful than the NCAA, which is just a random group of people who these schools have all agreed to be a part of. And because they've all agreed, they've kind of turned the NCAA into a monopoly that has not been challenged. You know, there are two ways to really look at it. It's either the NCAA has a monopoly on college sports, or you could call all the schools or all the conferences like a cartel who just impose these same rules that are anti, anti-student athlete. They stop the student athlete from being paid, and because they all do it, the student athlete doesn't have a better option. You know, they can't just go make money based on their talents anywhere else because they only have college sports. So whether you want to call it the NCAA, the bad guy for making this happen, for setting those rules when there isn't another option because they do have the monopoly, or you want to call it the schools or the conferences with the cartel because they're all agreeing to these same rules that punish student-athletes that... Again, student-athletes have no say whatsoever. Now the government's stepping in, and we haven't really called that. I, I don't know. Have we called it? Maybe there's a court decision that calls it a cartel or a monopoly or something. But uh, this is a step in that direction. There's finally some pushback, and it's it's crazy. I want to know what you guys think, as always. Comment. Uh, if, if you want your comment read, post your comment on the post for today's show. Uh, on thednvr.com. Scroll on to the bottom. You can reply, and I'll read it on tomorrow's show, Tuesday's show. If it's a question, I'll answer. If it's a comment, I'll p- probably still answer. Um, and yeah, I, I try to detail this process occasionally just to make sure, but if you want to comment, we're going to go super specific. Uh, go to thednvr.com. Go to Buff's podcast like in the categories. All of the shows will pop up. Um, this one will be called the DNVR Buffs Podcast. What does the California, the new California law mean for student athletes? Scroll down to the bottom, leave your comment. I'll read it tomorrow. Uh, of course, you have to be a subscriber to be able to do that. So subscribe. Uh, it's 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 good content, not just for me, but for all of Denver sports, Colorado sports. Um, yeah, especially with the Nuggets and Avalanche about to kick off incredible seasons. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So follow along. It's probably enough talk about the, that law, but it is worthy of a segment because it's going to change a lot of things. Some for the better, some for the worse. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to go through your comments from yesterday. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, They've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. All right. We are back in for the final segment of this Monday edition of the uh, of the BSN. Nope, 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 nope. That's the old name. The DNVR Buffs podcast. Uh, so excited to be back because uh, there's football. There's football this week. And we can't go a week without football again. I know we have to. I'll actually go up to Montana. Oh, how have we not talked about this? How about my Montana Grizzlies going out to California to play UC Davis, the number four ranked team in the FCS, and just stomping them. They were up 38-7 at one point. I think they ended up winning like 48-14, something like that. 48-20, something, I don't know. 48-30, somewhere around there. Gave up a couple garbage points after. Now, all of a sudden, Montana's a top 10 FCS football team. So excited. Such good football. Um, It was the best 35-3 loss I've ever seen when they played Oregon. Uh, And so we're going to call it that. 
Um, so I was going back. New subscribers sent me a question on Twitter, but I also saw um, somebody just responded to something I tweeted. Um, I, I don't check Twitter much while I'm recording these shows. So they kind of stack up, but I, I made a joke about maybe like you really don't need LaVisca Chenault to play the Pac-12 South leading Arizona, kind of like tongue-in-cheek because they, they is not the best team in the Pac-12 South. And Josh Frank's like, come on, man, just spent 30 minutes on the podcast explaining why he should rest and get to 100%. Yes, I was being sarcastic. Definitely rest LaVisca. Get him to 100% because the offense can move without him. If he's... You, is is 75% LaVisca any better than Katie Nixon and Tony Brown and Dimitri Stanley? Maybe, probably not. So get this 100% LaVisca back because uh, that's what you need. That's really what you need. Um, okay, now I need to go back and find the tweet we got from a new subscriber who had a question that I'm really excited to answer. And we actually got into it a little bit before the show or, or earlier in the show. I'm scrolling and trying to vamp. There we go. Uh, from J-Rod, new subscriber who asked, will either running back emerge as a clear number one or will we keep bouncing between them? I like the two backs personally. And we talked about this a little bit earlier that it's it's not that they're picking one or the other and saying he's the guy this week. They throw them out there and see what happens, and whoever matches up better, whoever's performing better, whoever ate more Wheaties or whatever in the morning, that's who gets the lead back role that day, and I think that that makes a lot of sense, and short term, that's the way it's going to be. Probably for the rest of the season, it's going to be Fontenot and Mangum going 50-50 for the first two, three series, and then all of a sudden you start to see one pull away from the other. Or maybe they combine for about the same production and they both end up with 10 carries, 12 carries, and Deion Smith gets his two behind him. Um, Personally, I would like to see more Deion Smith. I think that that is something that uh, I've thought for a while. I think we've talked about before. He he has big play potential. You know, where Jaron Mangum... Sure, he's fast and he can run away from guys. What he's best at, especially at this point in his career, is just pounding the middle. And you need that. You really do need that. And he can get some bigger gains, especially a year or two from now. If he can add just a little more speed, a little more wiggle, having more time in a college weight room, obviously huge for an 18-year-old. Or actually, he turned 19 a few days ago. So happy birthday, Jaron Mangum. But uh, for now, I think that it would be nice to get more run for Deion Smith just because I like what I've seen and I want to see more. Um, Alex Fontenot, a little bit of a hybrid between those two. He is more of the big play threat than Jaron Mangum because he has that bounce off a guy's ability and that's huge. He still has some power, still has some speed. He's kind of that hybrid. I want to see them use more of that Deion Smith look. Throw him the ball a little bit. Let him get in space and make some plays because I really do think that he's somebody who could break out. Uh, It's crazy that these guys are so young. And that's what's going to be kind of strange to watch over the next couple of seasons. You know, Jaron Mangum, true freshman, just turned 19. Uh, Alex Fontenot, a sophomore. Deion Smith, a redshirt freshman. These guys aren't just competing for playing time this season. And they, they don't look at it as competing for playing time. I think that's been very, very clear in my conversations with all three of them. I've talked to all three of them within the last week. And they've said, you know, we're just out there to do our job. We know the coaches will pick whoever is going to be most beneficial to the team in any given situation and let them run the ball or catch the ball or block or whatever it may be. They don't look at it as like, okay, I'm at 35% of the carries. Let's see if I can take another 5% from Jaron. See if we can knock Dion out of the rotation. That's not how it works. They're just thinking, I need to go play football. And when you are young, that's easier to do. You know, a lot of freshmen and sophomores don't even get to see the field. So the fact that they do get to see the field makes it easier. You know, they all have bigger roles than you'd expect somebody their age to have on a good football team. And that's where over the next couple of years, it will be interesting to see how things really shake out among those three running backs. Does Jaron Magum add a little more wiggle, add some speed, and become the clear number one? Does Alex Fontenot do something similar? And all of a sudden you're not saying, hey, he has the potential to break out. He's consistently breaking out. 
Deion Smith, does he put on another 5, 10 pounds, become a bit of a bully inside so that defenses have to slide over another quarter step toward the middle and just open things up for him even more outside? It's. I do think that for the rest of the season, this is going to be a by-committee approach, or maybe it's more of like a two-back approach with Deion Smith getting a couple reps when they need him. Next year, the year after, that's when you're going to start to see, does one guy separate himself? Uh, One of the things that's really tough for young college football players is learning how to play a complete game. You know, how do you get your conditioning in shape so that you don't, you're you're never at half speed if you play every snap? Um, How do you get your body in shape so that it can hold up to that kind of beating over the course of a season? Um, Mentally, can you stay focused? There's so much that goes into being an every down back. I mean, it's part of the reason why you don't see many of them anymore because you just realize that the, the talent gap between two guys is rarely big enough that when one guy has carried the ball 10 times more than the other and he's a tiny bit more worn down, the guy who's gotten fewer carries hasn't surpassed him. That's why you see this because guys slowly wear themselves down. You just want whoever's the best at that moment, not just the best overall. As these guys develop, though, as they add more muscle, as they add more speed, you might see one emerge as a guy who could be that every down back. And I think that if that does happen, then that will be Jaron Mangum. It just makes the most sense. Uh, His body type lends itself best to being that type of guy. His play style as well, because, you know, you, you see guys gain some speed while they're in college. And that's something that he could add, just working on that footwork, getting those feet a little bit quicker so that he can keep that power, of course, because, you know, that's that's always going to be who he is. A guy can go straight ahead, fall forward, get you some tough yards. But then if you can add something else on top of that, that's where you become more of that every down back. And even then, I bet he's a 75, 80% of the snaps guy if all those things do work out for him. Uh, so to answer the question... I would say that for the rest of the season, you should be pretty confident that it's going to be 90% uh, Jaron Mangum, Alex Fontenot uh, in any given game, and then 10% whoever else behind him. And then of that 90%, maybe it's a 60-30 split one way or the other. And that's where you could see things go differently uh, from game to game. Uh, and, And when that does happen... It'll be interesting to see... Oh, my goodness. I've gone back to this interesting thing. Um, It'll be fun to see who exactly starts pulling out more of those 60% games. You know, is it Jaron Mangum who goes 60, 60, 30, 60, 30, you know, like that? Or is it Alex Fontenot who goes 60, 60, 60, 30? You know, my guess is it's pretty balanced the rest of the season. But next year, the year after, maybe you do see Jaron Mangum start to pull away with that job. And then maybe Alex Fontenot becomes more of that secondary speed back, scat back. The role that Deion Smith has kind of played a little bit this year. Um, Although these guys are still all young, they're all in their first or second years in Boulder. The rotation, the snap counts that they receive over the course of their careers here, I think will vary quite a bit um going forward so yeah that's my take there again let me know what you think do you want to see more of one of these guys do you want to see less of one do you see one becoming that guy this year becoming that guy next year let me know uh we'll talk about a little more tomorrow if you guys have some good takes uh one more comment this one uh from silver buff my guy uh always love silver buff comments uh it unloaded it's like reloading it said that my browser is uh it needed like the extra space so i had to reload and got it all right so silver buff says my take on the defense they're too slow plain and simple they don't know the scheme they hesitate on decisions instead of committing full speed we knew months ago that this would be an issue i mean yeah that that is that's it they're too slow they don't know what they're doing, and they hesitate instead of going full speed. Um, we knew this m- a, a months ago would be an issue. I think that's fair. I think we knew that the talent on this defense was not 
it wouldn't lend itself to becoming the best defense in the Pac-12 because there are a lot of very talented Pac-12 defenses, more than there have been in the past. Um, so that part we definitely knew about. They don't know the scheme. Yeah, I, I would agree that we knew about that, that that's something that we thought could be the case, but we still saw a way for them to figure it out. You know, you hoped by the time Pac-12 play starts that they do have most of the problems, most of the wrinkles ironed out, and it looks like they're playing together. They're communicating, playing cohesively. And we've seen flashes of that. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm, it's definitely not a surprise, but I do think that there was a chance that they would have had all of this figured out by now. Uh, they hesitate on decisions instead of committing full speed. That's that might be the most frustrating part. That really might be the most frustrating part. Um, you know, we've picked out, we've singled out these linebackers in particular as people who need to be decisive and commit. And when they do, it's so exciting. You know, Davion Taylor, he has a couple of those plays. He blows up a couple of screens because he sees where the play is going. He senses it. He doesn't think, oh, am I reading this wrong? Looks like a screen, but let's wait and see if the quarterback actually throws the ball over here. No, he flies in there, cuts through the blockers, and brings the guy down as soon as he catches the ball. And when you see stuff like that, you think, wow, this is a good defense. This is a good defensive player because it's having those instincts. It's trusting those instincts. Um, it's, it's developing those instincts as well, understanding the game of football, realizing, hey, I've seen this setup three, four, five times in the last week or two, or this is something we saw them do on film, I bet this is a screen. Yep, let's go for it because I'm confident in that decision. You know, that's what that's what we've seen from him in flashes. And we've seen that from Mikhail Onu quite a bit. Um, where we haven't seen it as much as I expected is from the inside linebackers. Um, honestly, particularly Nate Landman. And again, we have to throw this qualifier out there every time we talk about Nate having, you know, a, a bit of a slow start to the season. He's still playing well. He's just not playing up to the standards that we've created for him. You know, we, we expected him to be first team, second team, all Pac-12 linebacker. And I don't think that that was out of line. I still think that he has all of that in him. He's just being asked to do some different stuff. They're asking him to stay on the field on third downs and cover. They're giving him bigger areas to cover. They aren't protecting him as much. And long-term, that's good for him. In terms of developing as a football player, whether that's for the Buffs or whether that's for an NFL team, yeah, get him those reps. Get him ready to be doing the things that he's going to be asked to do in the future. Maybe he never figures it out, but that would surprise me. He's a smart guy. He's a good athlete. It's, it's just different than anything he's been asked to do. You know, he's a guy who comes from a rugby background. Um that doesn't lend itself to being a good cover linebacker. It lends itself to being a good full steam ahead, fill a gap, bring a guy down type of linebacker. And I think that what's been most frustrating about how he's played this season is that it almost seems like he took a little step back in that regard. He, 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 he just seems a little indecisive. You know, we, we haven't seen the same tackle for loss numbers that we saw in the past. We don't see him just flying into the backfield, bringing somebody down, and he has that in him, and I'm confident that we're going to see it soon. It's just taking some time for all of this new stuff to click. You know, we talked about with Steven Montez as well. New scheme. That's tough to learn. That doesn't mean that he's done, though. It just means that Maybe it's this week that he gets it figured out. Maybe it's next week. Maybe Arizona State was actually just the turning point. And from here on out, he's going to run this offense the way it needs to be run. Same thing with Nate Landman. We just need to see that that light bulb go off in his head as soon as everything is totally figured out. Talking to John Van Deese last week, he said that he's learned a lot playing next to Nate. And he really respects how Nate just knows everybody's job. He knows what every check means, how, how that affects everything that happens on the defense. And John said, you know, I'm almost there. I'm so close. And you can feel how you can play faster when you start to understand all of these things that are happening, how everything works, the the reasons why behind what I'm asked to do. Because if you just know, hey, it's my job to go fill this hole if it's a run or stand right here if it's a pass, that doesn't work. You have to have these senses. You have to know when to 
hug the left side of your zone, hug the right side of your zone, have a feel for the game, understand where things are going, see that maybe the cutback lane is open, so you hesitate a little bit, fill in your gap, and try to get over there. Um, this is what they're working on still, and I'm not convinced that they won't get it figured out. I'm, I'm also not convinced that against Arizona, they're going to come out and just shut down this offense, but I do think that there will be slow improvement in terms of making these decisions quickly. Also, making the right decisions, because there have still been way, way, way too many wrong decisions. And again, talking to Mikhail Onu last week, he was saying, we we know that we're making these bad decisions. We know that that's why we're getting beat. And it's happening early, because we aren't communicating enough, and that happens, and guys start to really focus in because you don't want to get beat again because you just got that feeling of being beat. So you're communicating, you're hanging back a little bit, you're making sure you're not getting burned. All these kinds of things that you just want to see a little bit earlier. And so there is that mentality. Come out hot. Come beat them down. Make a play early on and really set the tone. That is more of what's been missing to me recently. That's what I want to see is come out, get a sack on that first drive, force a three and out. You know, strip sacks, get make make some plays. And that's what that defense is really built on at this point. And even going forward, that's what they want to do. This is a defense that's supposed to lend itself to playmakers. Everything is very disguised. It's very multiple. There are so many things you can do out of every formation so that the offense the offense is forced to second guess itself, to spend an extra half second reading what's going on in coverage. And hopefully during that half second, the defense reads the quarterback and makes a play. And we've seen quite a bit of that. Um, That's what the defense is built on, but there's still just too many mistakes and the mistakes need to be fixed. And once they do get fixed, and they will at some point in the next few weeks, I'd guess, that's when you start to see what the real ceiling is. Because right now we're we're seeing all of these guys at, Maybe it's 75% of what they can do. Maybe it's 95% of what they can do. But until we actually see a game where we say, wow, that is the best this defense can play, that's when we start to figure out what the ceiling is for this team. You just got to get there as quickly as possible, and they're working on it. They're definitely working on it. Hesitating, watching, watching Nate take another quarter second to make sure the ball carrier is really running outside and going out there. Just want to see these guys flying around. Really just want to see these guys flying around. Um, They are too slow. I will say right now that they are too slow. And it's going to be a couple years before they, they recruit players who fit this defense. Nate Landman, John Van Deest fit perfectly in past defenses. Not past defenses, past as in like what they were doing the last couple of years because the inside linebackers were used more as run stoppers. They were taking two steps up, filling a gap, and getting off the field on third down, being replaced by another cornerback, another safety, whoever. Now the responsibilities change a little bit, and they don't fit in so well. I think that they can learn and develop and you know, John Van Deest in particular, because he does have a couple more years, he can work on becoming quicker. He can work on those coverage senses. And whether it's next year, the year after, when things when he starts to fit in better, I do think that he can contribute more. Um, it's also true that they are going to be able to recruit guys who fit this scheme. Recruit fast linebackers, guys who might get pushed around against good offensive lines. They might struggle you know, playing the run, but they're going to cover a little bit better, you know, and it just depends on team to team what you value more. And right now, some of the players don't fit what this scheme values most. Um, It's also true that at Georgia, Mel Tucker had Roquan Smith at linebacker, who is incredible at everything you could ask a linebacker to do. And that's true of many players across his roster. So it could be that this scheme that you know, Alabama runs, Georgia runs, the Patriots run a version of. Maybe you really do just need perfect talent to be able to make it all work. Maybe it's too complicated. Maybe you're asking guys to do too many things if you don't have all these four or five-star guys just filling up your roster. Um, We don't know that, though. 
And I don't think that that's true, but it is a possibility. So I got to throw it out there. Um, I think that that pretty much sums up all my thoughts on Silverbuff's comment. He says, remember, they're too slow, plain and simple. Yep. And that's going to be a couple years to fix. They don't know the scheme. Yep. That's going to take at least a couple weeks to fix. Maybe, maybe years. Who knows? Uh, they hesitate on decisions instead of committing full speed. Yep. That goes along with not knowing the scheme, not trusting themselves inside the scheme. Uh, we knew months ago this would be an issue. Yeah. I mean, most of those things we expected. Uh, maybe we expected them to be ironed out by now. Thank you for the comment, Silver Buff. That's good stuff. Um, that is it for today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'll be back tomorrow, Tuesday, to talk more about the buffs. Leave your comments. I'll read them. Leave your questions. I'll answer them. And it'll be a good time. Uh, I think that that's it. Um, see you tomorrow. Bye, guys.